We all know about solar panels. You might be one of the 20% of Australian households who have some on their roof right now, pumping electricity into their home. But what do you know about solar paint? What if one day we could coat buildings in a paint that could help power homes, businesses, maybe even whole cities? Still, it's very amazing for me that people don't look at simple things which is around them. Sometimes just opening eyes and look can, can solve many issues that we have. Hi, I'm Adam Morton, and welcome to The Innovators, the second series of the Rewired podcast by ARENA, the Australian Renewable Energy Agency. Today, we're going to meet two researchers who have come up with a product that to many people is likely to sound more sci-fi than real life, a solar-fueled, hydrogen-producing paint. From RMIT University School of Engineering, we have Dr. Torben Danike and Distinguished Professor Kurosh Kalantazadeh. Welcome to you both. Thank you very much. Thank you. Now, this is not a story about failure, far from it, but it starts with failure. Torben, a little over a year ago, you were working at RMIT on a project with a student and things weren't going well. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about what you were doing and what was going wrong? Yeah, so we were investigating this material that we've had uh, synthesized. So uh, we were working on uh, sulfur-rich molybdenum sulfides. So this is a class of uh, synthetic minerals that we have been looking into for quite a while. So this is a material that you created effectively. Yes, uh, yeah. this is material that we have uh, created in the lab. Uh, it does not exist like that in nature. Um, so we have prepared this material and we were actually trying to make gas sensors out of this material. So our research group has a strong background in sensing materials, particularly sensing for gases or sensors for uh, gas sensing. And uh, this material, uh, we wanted to make a hydrogen sensor out of it. And uh, the student was working on it for quite a while, probably about uh, six to eight months. And the research was just not going really uh, like we wanted it to go. Uh, our sensors were not functioning properly. And uh, the uh, student came to me at some point and said, look, whatever I do, I get this uh, random results, which were <laughs> really frustrating for him at this point. And... Um, when we actually had a look at it, and we also, Kurosh came as well, and we were all looking at this uh, problem together. Um, after a little bit of uh, analyzing the issues, uh, we found out uh, that the random results were actually all caused by humidity. So we found that our material was um, responding very, very strongly to the humidity in the air and in the environment. Okay. And so this was, just so we're clear, so this is a gas sensor, basically, is it operating in a room and supposed to be detecting the level of hydrogen within a given space? Exactly. That's what it's supposed yeah, to be doing? Yeah, that's what it's supposed to be doing. And we were founding, uh, finding that it was completely arbitrary, really, the result. Right. So if you were getting too close to the sensor, it would actually detect the moisture of your breath. Yeah, right. And okay. uh, it was very sensitive to moisture, but it was essentially useless as a, as a hydrogen sensor. And this has been going on for some months, and this is valuable time and quite frustrating, I imagine. Torben, you said you brought Kurosh in at this point. So I assume in science often faced with this kind of failure, there's a temptation to put it aside and work on something else. Was that something that you were considering at this point? Well, as you mentioned, it's a temptation. <laughs> Always when you see something doesn't work, put them aside. But the time spent on it was long and we, we thought the material was very valuable for us just to put it aside. And the observation that we had at that time, seeing that uh, it can absorb 
moisture from the environment, even at 50-40% moisture at the room in environment, the normal uh, humidity that we have. We realized that this strong absorption was unusual, extraordinary. Having this observation, we decided maybe we could find another application for it to, to make sure that uh, we, we use the opportunity here and also save the time of the student on this uh, project. Just before we get to what you decided to do next, mm-hmm. when you were faced with the situation, what was the, what's the conversation you had, Krish, with Torben about how you respond when you're faced with a situation where you may have to throw away all this work because it hasn't produced what you expected? Well, we have a policy. We don't put anything in the bin <laughs> in the lab. <laughs> we always try to find a solution. So it was one of those moments. It wasn't anything different from what we do. But generally, the solutions are much easier. Okay, this doesn't, for instance, sensor doesn't respond to hydrogen. Let's try other gases. But this time, the difference was the absorbing loss of humidity. So it was blocking the response completely. Yeah. Uh, the solution was, okay, we had Torben here with a good background, at least in some part of it, although the, his main area is also solar cells. So really, neither of us were <laughs> in catalytic uh, uh, investigations before uh, uh, coming into and finding something that people had not done or done before. That also came out as, a, as an opportunity for us because people, when they look at this catalytic, for instance, materials, they always put this material in liquid. So we saw something nobody has ever thought about, a material in air absorbing water. Course, so this is an area that's actually quite some distance from your usual line of work. Yeah, for, bo- for both of for us. For both of you. Yeah. yeah. So, Torben, you, you have a background in s- solar cells, Chris yes. just said. Is uh, that right? But you'd clearly moved away from that at this yeah. point. Yeah. So, I used to work in solar cells. Um, I used to uh, work on um, sort of electrochemical solar cells. Uh, that was during my PhD and uh, during my first postdoc. So, that was at Monash and at CSRO. And I spent about six years working on solar cells. And uh, then about three to four years ago, I decided that I wanted to have a change and get out of solar cells and uh, start to do uh, new science and uh, different science. Um, so this is for me really sort of a bit of a uh, circle coming back, I guess, that I'm working back on solar. Why did you want to get out of solar? Uh, I imagine some people that would find that a little strange given that is an area of fairly extraordinary growth and development internationally at the moment. Why the decision to step away? Well, at that point in time, uh, the funding climate was quite difficult uh, to actually get funding for um, solar cell research. But also I had spent six years on it. So I really was feeling like doing something new. I was essentially I was a bit over it. So um, uh, that that was the outcome at, at that point in time. Yeah. Right. And so you ended up working on Gas sensors, was that the general area? Gas sensors area? and electronics, uh, making yeah. materials. Uh, so I'm a chemist by training. Uh, I make materials and uh, I used to make materials for solar cells and now I'm making materials for gas sensors, electronics, transistors, for a lot of things. Karish, what's tell us a little bit about your main area of work. I, I don't focus on one, one, one area. And, and this is actually joy and pleasure in the lab that we see something and we just randomly <laughs> move our directions towards that. It's exciting. Yeah. So so I cannot say I, I work on a single type of material or science or development. A- anything that 
we have the facility, we have the expertise, and we have the we think that we can have the capability. We just move move towards those direction. Right, but your background is not in anything really to do with energy generation or no, solar really, or anything like that. No, uh, really, as I said, my, my education is about electronics, telecommunications, biosensors, yeah. So you're both working in different areas. You're in the lab, you, present, you find this problem, and you're looking for a solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you tell me a bit about the thought process that took you from where you were to something that would both be a paint yep. and be able to absorb... Solar energy. So the basic thought process is, well, we've got a problem here. And we uh, found that, well, our material absorbs too much water. Um, What do we do with that? Uh, We decided rather than looking at it as a problem, we decided to see if we can use it for our advantage. At that point, uh, we decided to have a bit of a read through the literature. What are these materials used for? And we found that this material is actually known to be or in general molybdenum sulfide-based materials, are known to be reasonably good water-splitting catalysts. They are known that uh, essentially if you provide some energy, they can split up uh, water molecules into hydrogen and oxygen. So that was already known at that point. Our creative step here really was uh, to use uh, the uh, capability of absorbing moisture from essentially thin air and using that to do our catalysis rather than uh, coating some sort of an electrode and uh, sticking our electrodes into a bucket and doing a sort of bucket electrolysis. Why this is a quite creative, I guess, uh, approach is uh, because we really overcome a lot of the problems that you have when you do this sort of bucket electrolysis. If you think about humidity in air, it's essentially distilled water. It's very, very pure. You don't have any impurities in that moisture. And that is one of the key problems with electrolysis is uh, that you've got some sort of contamination in your water and that sticks to your electrodes and it destroys your catalyst. Um, So we can completely overcome these problems. Where does the idea of a paint come into this? Because you're taking your substance that you've manufactured, and I'm going to call it molysulfide for short, so I'm not stumbling over the word, and you're combining it with titanium oxide. Yes. Where does titanium oxide coming to this? How did you come up with the idea of putting the two together? So titanium oxide is uh, a material that is already widely used. So it's just a white pigment and it's very, very good at absorbing UV light. So people already use it in sunscreen. They use it in uh, wall paint, in toothpaste even. It's a very cheap bulk material. What happens when this uh, titanium oxide absorbs light is uh, that it creates essentially an electrochemical voltage inside it's particles. So it's acting like a sort of miniature solar panel inside of that paint. And uh, what happens then is that this electrical potential, these electrons and holes that are created in this uh, particle are getting passed onto the molysulfide. Then the molysulfide is using that energy to split up uh, the water molecules. Here's my understanding. Correct me if I'm wrong. So you've created this material, molysulfide, and it basically acts as a semiconductor So it can split water atoms into hydrogen and oxygen. When you combine it with titanium oxide, which is used in paint, among other things, it can capture the solar energy and water vapour drawn from the air to create hydrogen, a fuel. Can you tell me, how did you come up with the idea of putting the two together? What's the thought process? Because it is you're now a long way from where you began when you started trying to solve this problem. Can you, between the two of you, who, who's, the, who's the person who came up with that yeah, idea? It was his idea, right? So uh, I 
at the beginning I was very naively telling Torben, hey, let's just use it directly uh, as a water split, as a humidity splitter. But uh, fortunately, we have somebody who is in solar <laughs> cell background. He knows that, hey, electronics is not that simple sometimes. And you have a conduction band, a valence band. If the location of those two are not at the right point, uh, the water splitting job is not done at all. So what he did, he chose, for instance, that titanium dioxide, titanium pigments that had the right, for instance, valence band here. Yes. Uh, uh, together with the right uh, 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 location for the energy of the conduction band from molybdenum sulfide, put it together and it, the mix produced a material with the right energy bands everywhere for splitting water. And we had lots of water on the surface. Then yeah. we had their <laughs> great uh, uh, result of producing hydrogen from air. From moisture in the area. Yeah. And what's very interesting is if you use either component on its own, essentially nothing happens. Yeah. So titanium oxide can't do the job because it doesn't absorb moisture. Molysulfide can't do the job either because it doesn't absorb the UV light, so it doesn't get enough energy. But if you mix both together, it suddenly works. What strikes me as remarkable about this is it doesn't require water, it's just using the water vapour, yeah. which you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but that seems to be the really significant step forward here. Is yeah, that yeah. correct? The, the, the reality is we have water-absorbing materials like silica gels that uh, are in most of uh, the packagings for food. You have seen them, huh? Small white things in food or even yep. luxury items. So it's very similar to that, apparently, the material that we made. At the same time, this material is not only absorbing water, also it's a semiconducting material. So this two combination was very unique. So how long did this process take from the point where you were looking for a solution to an intractable problem to where you've come out and said, ah, oh, well, if we put these two together, we've got this paint-like substance that can produce hydrogen? Yeah. Well, actually, it was surprisingly quick. So we had the discussion, we had the idea. So we were all in the same room and I brought it up, let's do this. And after five minutes, we said, well, that's a good idea. Let's try this out. Next day, we went to the lab, we tried it, and it actually worked. So it was very, very rapid. We uh, basically uh, put the things together and then started uh, to produce hydrogen. Yeah. So I have to say, um, the first observations were rapid, but yeah. even even writing the paper, we very quickly got to the point to, f to finish it within weeks. But <laughs> after that, submitting it to, to the journals, they even didn't send it for review, some of them. Uh, this they were criticizing yeah. things that uh, oh compare it with this comparing with that compare it with what is new <laughs> <laughs> many have something very very different very new from what has been done before then people start asking very strange questions as well so at that point we had a few failures with a few journals but fortunately fortunately they tore off this journal that we sent to eventually and it's a very prestigious journal uh, supported it. Just going back to why those journals didn't accept it, was that just, do you think, a matter of it being such a new idea that they weren't getting the concept or they weren't yeah. yet convinced that it had been proven? They, they Look, some of them are experiencing, for instance, water splitting. Everything is about putting things in water and split them, yep. not in the air. So uh, you become suspicious as what it is. I don't know. 
maybe. Yeah. I, I cannot read their minds. They were not around us. <laughs> and we didn't really have a discussion with them. But uh, it's not, not, not only this. Anything that we start for the first time, which is new, which is different, we have these problems. Uh, people have hard time accepting it. But after the first publication, it, it picks up. Other people start repeating it, reproducing it. Suddenly it becomes big. Once it was published, yeah. what was the reaction? Well, we got a lot of reaction actually from the media. So people were very intrigued. I think that is just the fact that it's a solar paint. Everybody can connect to that. Everybody has a house. Everybody paints it. So um, I think we got a lot of um, reaction from the population, general population, and from non-scientists, but also from scientists. So we presented this work in the U.S. earlier this year. And after I presented the talk, a lot of the researchers came afterwards to me and said, like, wow, this is really cool. It's a very new way of doing it. And uh, so the first people that I had a discussion with, they now actually started to work on it. They published the first papers on it as well. We had a lot of um, attention afterwards. So it was a very pleasant experience in that regard. So. Okay. Well, look, after the break, we'll find out just how advanced the technology is and the scope of its potential. Hi, I'm Dewey Cook, and this is the sound of hydrogen at work. Nine. We have ignition sequence start. Engines on five, four, three, two. All engines running. Launch commit. Liftoff. We have liftoff 49 minutes past the hour. Okay, so that was the sound of a rocket ship taking off. But what do you think we're shooting it into the sky? Liquid hydrogen, the fuel of choice for space exploration, as NASA would say. But hydrogen's usefulness isn't all rocket boosters and galaxies far, far away, surely. What do you know about hydrogen? Uh, it's used for cooking, fuel, maybe. <laughs> hydrogen. Yeah, it's a gas, and that's it. That's, a, that's all I remember. Yeah. Uh, we can Google it. <laughs> yeah. We can Google it and then we can answer. <sighs> If only Arena's resident expert model Gastetna were here to help me understand. Oh, oh hey, Phil. Hey, Dewey, how are you going? It's Phil Cohen, everyone. It turns out model can't be here this episode, so instead we're going to have Phil explain the world. Phil, hydrogen, talk to me. Well, Dewey, hydrogen's amazing. It's the most uh, abundant element uh, in the universe. It's all around us. Um, and it's actually been used in energy for, for many, many years. So over a century ago, um, Melbourne's uh, gas network actually was filled with hydrogen along with natural gas to help turn on the streetlights downtown. But more recently, we've become interested in hydrogen as a source of renewable energy. Right, so it's not exactly a new science, is it? No, no, we've understood hydrogen's potential um, as an energy source for a very, very long time. Um, and some of the projects that Arena's been funding recently have taken that to the next level. Uh, one of the things that we've been looking at is how you can, we can use excess renewable energy to create hydrogen and store that hydrogen in the gas network. So what that might look like is, say we're in South Australia, which has lots of wind energy. It's the middle of the night. The wind's blowing really strongly, but no one's awake to consume that energy. So previously what we might have done is curtail or you know, switch off those wind farms, what we can do now instead or what the vision is is that you can use the electricity being produced by those wind farms to power uh, electrolyzers, uh, which are the, is the technology that takes hydrogen 
out of water. So it splits water, which is two hydrogen atoms and an oxygen atom, um, splits it apart and takes that hydrogen and does something really useful with it. And in this case, we want to stick that hydrogen into the gas network um, so you can use it to boil the kettle in the morning to make your cup of tea. Hmm, that sounds like it would be very useful. <laughs> but is it also kind of fair to say that the application of hydrogen as a renewable energy source in Australia is sort of in its infancy at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. So what we're looking at in Australia at the moment is sort of new and better ways to create hydrogen in a, in a, uh, using renewable energy sources. So that's looking at this uh, electrolysis process, looking for new chemistries and new ways of extracting the hydrogen out to maximise efficiency, and also testing the way that we can add it to the gas network uh, in a way that's safe and sustainable. Okay, so is there anywhere that Australia can learn from that is currently using hydrogen in an interesting way? Are there any other markets where hydrogen is being utilised as a renewable energy source? Yeah, so in um, Japan and South Korea in particular, there's a really strong emphasis on using hydrogen in transport in particular at the moment. So that, But that uses hydrogen in a different way to the gas network example that I talked about earlier. That's using hydrogen fuel cells in cars and buses to power those vehicles. And, and fuel cell technology, again, uh, is another area where there's been a lot of uh, technology advancement done and really about improving the efficiency and reducing the cost of those technologies. Okay, so what are the challenges then for Australia to look at using hydrogen in the same way? So I think the big opportunity for Australia is that we have huge amounts of abundant renewable energy in the form of wind and solar. So it's a huge resource. Um, and hydrogen is this great opportunity to store that energy uh, and potentially even export that to Japan and South Korea and other countries that are looking to use it in transport and other industries. For us to be able to do that, though, there's these huge efficiency losses uh, as you can go from wind and solar energy all the way down to the hydrogen that's stored in a fuel cell in a car driving around the streets of Tokyo. So part of the work that ARENA is really interested in is looking at how can we more efficiently convert renewable energy into hydrogen that can be used in transport and across industry internationally. I think that's a huge opportunity for Australia to be a, a global leader in some of those technologies. So like Phil said, ARENA is also interested in the potential for hydrogen as an export and recently received 45 submissions in response to its request for information. These came from a range of people and groups, including universities and research institutes, companies, individuals, and even one government body. There'll be more for Arena in this space coming up, so be sure to keep up with the news at Arena Wire or subscribe to our newsletter. And thanks also to the NASA Sound Archive for that rocket bit you heard at the beginning. If you're wondering, it was the sound of the Apollo 10 spacecraft launch, all the way back in 1969. Isn't that amazing? Now, back to Mission Control. Over and out. Uh, Roger, we confirm. As we were saying before the break, what you've got is a paint that is a hydrogen converter fueled by solar power. And this is a pretty extraordinary breakthrough because hydrogen is a potential source of clean energy and could have a big part to play in the energy transition that's underway. Uh, but the ways that we produce it at the moment or capture at the moment aren't all that efficient or sustainable. Can you tell us a bit about how do we get hydrogen at the moment and why is this a better option? 
Okay, so there are many different ways to run. Go ahead with the most common one. So the most common way at the moment to produce hydrogen is to actually use oil, to use a process that is called steam cracking. So you heat up the oil to extraordinary high temperatures, and uh, then the hydrogen splits off the oil. And uh, that way, that's the way that is hydrogen produced at the moment, uh, which is obviously an issue because uh, you use fossil uh, fuels to produce hydrogen. So uh, whatever you use that hydrogen for, it's not going to be a green or sustainable energy. Yes, yeah, so, and we have many reports on splitting water, but all of them are about liquid water. Uh, as Torben mentioned before as well, we have a bucket full of water. First of all, it has to be purified. There shouldn't be any iron, any salt. You cannot just simply go to, for instance, the ocean and take a bucket of that and uh, uh, try to electrolyze. It's impossible because those ions interfere with everything. It doesn't work. So it has to be purified. That needs energy. So, and again, it's out of question. We are spending energy to produce energy. <laughs> <laughs> and at the moment, potentially using fossil fuel-based energy, given yes. our reliance on yeah. it. Yeah, so we have discussions about how to use uh, energy from the sun uh, to split water. And there are, of course, reports. But again, none of them are the uh, right process and the energy-efficient uh, method that we need to have. Yeah. Also, um, at the moment... Um, even the techniques that they have developed that produce hydrogen using uh, solar energy, they're still in water. So we will always rely on this uh, highly purified water, which is uh, really an issue. There's obviously extraordinary potential here to use, turn solar energy into hydrogen. We should talk about exactly what the paint is and how advanced it is. When we say paint, is this paint as we understand it uh, in terms of the paint that we put on the walls of our homes? Well, essentially it is. So we have uh, a couple of, or two ingredients, it's the molysulfide and the TiO2, and we just mix them in a solvent, in our case that's water, and we simply paint it onto the surface. So in that regard, it is very similar to uh, what you have at the moment as a paint. Uh, so how advanced is it? Well, we're still in sort of the testing stages in the lab. So we are still uh, at the moment trying to increase efficiency. The, we haven't tested durability yet. So that's one issue that we have to overcome. I mean, you don't want to paint your house uh, every two months. These are things that we have to do. These are engineering issues. But one of the main problems at the moment that we're still tackling is that we have to collect all of the hydrogen. That is something that we're working on at the moment. Uh, we uh, try to come up with a system that allows us to produce the hydrogen and then also to collect it. Oh, I imagine this is the big question. Yes. What do you do with the energy that's produced? Are there any potential solutions on that at this stage? Here we're talking about splitting water. Hydrogen is produced and hydrogen is still in the air together with oxygen and nitrogen. We have to separate it. Uh, there are many different ways. For instance, uh, uh, the good thing is we have a kind of background is uh, in producing membranes as well. Gas separation membranes. We can put them and using the uh, for instance, s some uh, pressure difference between the environment and the area around the paint. Uh, hydrogen molecules are very small. They can diffuse faster, so they separate themselves from the rest of the uh, um, content in the air. Uh, there are other methods as well, but the reality is if our efficiently, uh, if efficiency of this process goes uh, above 4 or 5% of producing hydrogen, we don't need separation. But at the moment, it hasn't exceeded that. So what is the efficiency at the moment? 
We have estimated it. This is we have not accurately measured it. So basically, don't hold us against <laughs> the numbers that we are saying. But uh, sort of the back of the envelope calculation that we've done, we estimate that it's around one percent right. of okay. uh, solar conversion efficiency. So uh, at the moment, solar panels they reach about eighteen twenty percent. Uh, so it's still below what solar panels can achieve. But also solar panels, they don't produce hydrogen, they produce electricity. And hydrogen can do so much more than just being an energy carrier. So uh, we need hydrogen nevertheless. Uh, if we don't use it as an energy carrier, we will need it to make uh, chemicals. Uh, for example, fertilizers, these sort of materials, they all rely on hydrogen. This is not just to be seen as an energy uh, production sort of uh, technology, but it's more as a hydrogen production technology. So it's a bit more than just energy. Yeah. And also, please don't forget that this is just the proof of concept at this point that was yeah. uh, uh, presented by us. For instance, we have another paper just published a few weeks ago. Uh, they, they took the process a bit and increased it to 15% <laughs> hydrogen production. Uh, of course, they use electrodes, but still they use everything in the air, yeah. not uh, 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 inserting those electrodes and the rest of the material into water. 15% efficiency. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, right. so the idea of using the humidity is something that we think can be quite big and has to be expanded into all different areas possible yeah. that we showed here for the first time. So just to clarify, with the 15%, uh, the steps that they've taken uh, is actually a different concept that they use to some degree. So they still use uh, a moisture-absorbing catalyst similar to us, but instead of using titanium oxide and create a paint, they actually have a solar panel. So the solar panel absorbs the light and then right. produces the energy to run the electrolysis. But the concept is very similar. It relies on uh, the discoveries that we have made uh, that we can actually... Uh, absorb moisture from air and then uh, yeah. splits this moisture. So this is very important. I'll tell you why. For, for instance, we're talking about the areas um, which are very hot, for instance, Saudi Arabia or, or nor uh, northern area in Australia. It's humid and it's hot. So you have lots of moisture in the air. If you can not think about water in, in the ocean rather than water in the air, the humidity, and try to use it because I already received energy from the sun to evaporate. <laughs> So th th that's energy already at your hand. If you then can absorb it and use it and split it into uh, hydrogen that you need for storage and carrying energy, then that's the winner. So you were saying that four or four to five percent efficiency for this paint would be able to deliver yeah, what's required. You, I yeah. mean, so you don't actually need the twenty percent that you would usually get from uh, our solar panels. Is that correct? Look, look uh, the. The, the energy calculation, energy, energy uh, efficiency calculation is something always that people discuss and it's very controversial. But the reality is goes back to how much the paint is in when you paint is somewhere, uh, how much maintenance you have to apply to this in time. And as a result, what's the cost, for instance, per kilowatt of this energy produced? Uh, put all these things together. I, I, my estimation, my estimate, just just uh, as terms of back of envelope calculation shows, it's a very low number. I can't be wrong. I don't want to mention the number here, <laughs> but but the the efficiency comes into this. That okay, the maintenance efficiency, this 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 all together, yeah. what will be the total cost of this energy? And uh, it can be very low, uh, but I don't think it's from this proof of concept. It has to be. 
we just show the first possibility here. Yeah. And again, as I said, we are not uh, a group that work on energy. So some other groups, which fortunately we see that come on board, has to go and develop it further. We did not patent it. Well, no, I was going to ask about that. You've taken, I think, what's probably a slightly unusual approach here. You've shared that in the public domain and asked for others to buy in effectively and to work on this to help develop it. I would assume it would have been a more lucrative path for you to patent it and give up other things you were doing and work away on this given the potential for it sounds so significant. Why did you take that path of throwing it out into the public domain? So... For me, the decision was uh, when we looked at the product that we have created, uh, I looked at it and I could see, well, this needs still a lot of development. So it's uh, five to 10 years at least of work uh, to actually get it over the line, to have some sort of a product in your hands that you can start to market. In the end, after having a couple of discussions as well with some people that know more about patents and IP, what they advised us is, or me as well, is that you want to essentially patent the final product. So that is... Uh, yeah. What where the money is. So if you would patent the process right now, uh, it's actually not a very strong patent. It would not be very lucrative. Uh, the second thing as well is uh, that really this is uh, a technology that requires a lot of improvement. The most likely version that this is actually going to benefit humanity is if everybody gets on board and starts to work on it. What is more you know, encouraging for a researcher to uh, basically tell them, look, you can work on it and you can patent it and uh, then you can actually make money off it. So we get everybody on board. We get much more smart minds onto working onto this, uh, on this topic and uh, then uh, we might actually make this a reality. So do you keep working on it yourselves or do you give it up to the the world now and move on to other things <laughs> yeah that, that's that's the question i'm not sure we can continue work on it very uh at a at a strong level we don't work in our group on energy we don't have some of the main tools to characterize for instance long-term stability and the rest that is needed as for a commercial product if it, effectively i don't think we can we can do this ourselves second is because my background, uh, Torben's background, is not energy. Even if we, for instance, put an application to Australian Research Council, people laugh at us, say, who are you? I'm putting in this application. So uh, the system does not let us to continue scientifically on this. Even is after it, having this breakthrough? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's impossible. Really? With yeah. the system, yeah. And there is another thing as well. Uh, you also mentioned about patent. Uh, actually, I have another uh, product. I really have. Oh, really? <laughs> tantalizing to say that. I want to say that we have another product uh, that I patented it, and uh, oh, I'm hell with it <laughs> in the process. I don't want to go through that anymore in my life. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, so look, this is clearly at, at early stage. But I'm going to push you on this to talk about the potential for it. What is your vision and your hope for what this little brown paint that you're working on, have been working on in the lab and that others are now working on variations on across the globe could ultimately deliver in terms of solving the energy problems that we face? So for me, what I hope that has happening here is uh, that people look at our very new way of uh, splitting water molecules and producing hydrogen and uh, are basically think, starting to think out of the box and use our ideas. Uh, we've done some very 
rudimentary calculations as well. And uh, there's actually a lot of evidence out there as well that using water vapor is actually the more efficient way to split or to produce hydrogen. Essentially, it's because you don't have that um, sort of change from being a liquid to a gas. So you start off with a gas and you end up with a gas. So that's energetically much more favorable. These ideas, uh, they're now out there. And I hope that other people are starting to think out of the box and uh, they're going to use these uh, ideas that we've brought out there to really optimize their sort of materials to actually also work in the vapor phase and uh, to come up with a technology that's actually viable because electrolysis has been out for at least 100 years. People have been taking platinum wires and putting them in a bucket for over 100 years. Everybody has done it in high school at some point, but it just hasn't entered the market. And the reason is it's not viable. Uh, That's why people are still using... um, cracking of uh, fossil fuels, which is obviously not what we want to do for the next uh, thousand years. So um, I hope that people are taking our ideas and uh, the other ideas as well that have been produced around the globe and are starting to think out of the box and are coming up with a better way to produce hydrogen. Exactly. Can you envisage a future where people are painting their houses and their businesses with a version of this paint, and that will be providing the electricity that their homes and businesses would be running on. Yeah, there is a possibility, maybe not this version, but the next version, of course. But uh, as Torben mentioned, it's about using, uh, uh, looking at the new paradigm, the paradigm of looking at the moisture, which is around us available, and and use that as kind of semi-free material to be converted into the energy to the uh, energy carriage materials that we need which is hydrogen it's very green in comparison to other methods that we have at the moment and i think eventually it can be very uh, energy efficient still it's very amazing for me that people don't look at simple things which is around them sometimes just opening eyes and look can can solve many issues that we have it's, it's about everything yes as well for instance simple thing we have, we have energy problem and then everybody drives cars with one passenger with just the driver it does, doesn't make sense if we have a problem why <laughs> we just look at the simplest solution that can be done can be uh, can, can provide us with the opportunity to solve this at least for the next decade or so I don't know it's just nature of human being I suppose so it sounds like <laughs> your gift to the world with this is hopefully to open up a new way of thinking and now it's really for the world to go out and see what they can do with it exactly your approach. I suppose so. well, that's quite a gift to give and it seems a good place to finish thanks Torben and thanks Kurush for being with us today thank, thank you very us. much Next episode, we take you on a journey from electrifying India's poorest slums to helping drive innovation at the world's largest green bank. I'm Adam Morton. Thanks for listening to The Innovators, a rewired podcast by Arena. You can find us and review us and tell us how much you like us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. You can also find out heaps more about renewable energy and the energy transition that's underway by following us on Facebook or going to the Arena Wire website where there's a stack of information updated daily. It's at arena.gov.au forward slash blog.